So Andrea, in the late 90s, it was all about it. There were it boys and it handbags and of course it girls. So who was the it girl that comes to mind for you? Well, there was Jennifer Love Hewitt, Katie Holmes, Claire Danes, and Julia Stiles. Where did you come from? Planet Loser? As opposed to Planet, look at me, look at me. Well, since you mentioned Julia Stiles, 10 Things I Hate About You came out in the spring of 1999. And just a few months later in June, Teen People released their Hottest Stars in her 21 issue. And if you don't remember, Teen People was an entirely separate magazine at the time. And Julia was one of the stars on the cover. And you know what's so awesome? That was the same summer that some of my favorite 90s songs were at the top of the charts. There was Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child, Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle, and of course, J-Lo's If I Had Your Love. I mean, like 1999, amazing. So today on People in the 90s... No, today on Teen People in the 90s. Okay, I stand corrected. Today on Teen People in the 90s, we're going to dive into that issue. We're going to revisit some of those young stars, what became of them, and get this, we're going to get to talk to one of them, and that person is Julia Stiles. Kat Stratford in 10 Things I Hate About You was huge for me, but a lot of that's so much of a blur. Plus, we're revisiting shock comedian and Drew Barrymore's ex-husband, Tom Green. And we give a little TLC to our favorite girl group, TLC. And I also have a Fabio update for you, Andrea. And of course, we'll talk about 10 Things I Hate About You. You know, Jason, if 10 Things I Hate About You is on TV, I cancel all of my plans and I rewatch it with the commercials. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've seen it once. (gasps) Anyway, I'm Jason Sheeler, Deputy West Coast Editor at People Magazine. And this is Andrea Laventhal, Style and Beauty Director at People Magazine. And today, this is Teen People in the 90s. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Jason. So I have a story for you. Are you ready for story time? Yes, I love story time. So I went to this little college called Parsons School of Design in New York. You probably never heard of it. Nope, not familiar with their work. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a fashion student in the late 90s and I interned for this incredible woman named Cynthia Rowley. You probably have heard of her as our fashion and beauty director. Absolutely. Like sidebar, my Southern accent was so strong at the time that someone at work thought I was from Eastern Europe. Like <laughs> they literally could not understand a word I was saying. Anyway, so for one runway show, They had this idea, like, let's use a real person. And of course, by that, they meant actress, right? They were looking for someone who's really defining culture at the time, like popping. So they booked Claire Danes. Like, so she was 16 years old. Like, I'm like freaking out because like Claire Danes is like coming into the office. But I was really freaking out because that week they also filmed an episode of my favorite 90s show, Law and Order, like at the (laughs) office. And so I got to see like Detectives Briscoe and Curtis in person, like Benjamin Bratt, right? So like there was kind of like a real, like to use a Law and Order expression, like the chunk chunk, right? It was the beginning of the end of models on fashion covers. Like, actresses were taking over the magazine covers because things were really, really changing. So, Claire, like, if you think about her at the time, like, she represented an entirely new generation. Like, these teens in the late 90s who were born in the early 80s, now we say millennials, and they they were and are the largest generation since the baby boomers. Like, today there's 72 million of them, like 22% of the U.S. population. But at that point, in like the mid to late 90s, they were like learning how to drive, learning how to shop. They're making their own choices at the movie theater. And people like us, people like People Magazine were noticing. So like suddenly the world got really young. Well, Jason, that was me. I was that person. Wait, was I telling your story that whole time? A little bit, but except I'm like just on the cusp. I believe the phrase now that was recently coined is a geriatric millennial, which is... <laughs> 
like such a, it's so silly, but like I'm a geriatric millennial. I was a teenager in the late 90s when teen culture was exploding. It kicked off, it seems, around 1995 with Clueless. Oh, as if. And I think Clueless and the shocking popularity of it kind of showed that teenagers were relevant. They had an opinion and they had money. And next came Scream, which I remember when that came out. Oh, that is a good one to bring up. And it was like, that was 1996. And Mm. that was huge. So of course, you know what happens. Hollywood. They're like, oh, you guys have money. Mm. You want to spend it. We are going to create all the teen content you could ever want. I know what you did last summer. Yeah. I mean, so good. Scream 2, Can Hardly Wait, which reminded us that the last day of school is when everything important happens. Can I admit something? I've never seen it. Well, then how did you know what to do on the last night of high school? Do you know what I did on the last day of high school? I, I actually like came out of the closet and then like hightailed it to the airport. Like true, true story. I love that. We should probably pivot this podcast to be all about that because that's fascinating. I was picturing you and your, what was that group you started? Oh, the drug free club. Right. So you and nobody having your final meeting. <laughs> you were like, so thanks everyone for all your support. It's been a great year. Like I held hands with myself and said a prayer on the flagpole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll get a member other than me since I'm moving on. With my one-man teen prayer circle. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember being the youth that I was going to the movies like every weekend because there was a new movie out for me. Just for me. (laughs) Right? And Just just for me, Andrew Andrew Leventhal's memoir. Yeah, just for me. (laughs) And guess what? Of course... People Magazine was there. Not only were they there, but in 1998, the apex of all of this, they launched Teen People because brilliant. Of course, you're going to launch a magazine for this whole group of previously underserved teenagers. They were just dying for the content and we delivered it. So we had Teen People and then, but we weren't the only ones coming out with a teen publication, right? I mean, there was Teen Vogue L, what was L's called? L Girl? L Girl. And Cosmo Girl. But we led the charge. So previously, because I subscribed to every single magazine there was, including like Better Homes and Gardens and Good Housekeeping, even though I was a teenager. Okay, hang on. I'm going to call BS on that. You didn't subscribe to Better Homes and Gardens. Ladies Home Journal. Seven <laughs> subscriptions at one point. My parents had an intervention. But then I went to journalism school and became a magazine writer. Okay, so it okay, all worked okay, out. Okay, but okay. anyway... When Teen People, Cosmo Girl, all of those came out, it was like they took the category seriously and they really stepped up the game in a way and made the content more sophisticated and glossier and less about like a picture of Jonathan Taylor Thomas on your bunk wall at camp and more about like a quiz. Like, are you a... Jennifer Love Hewitt, or are you a Kirsten Dunst? Yeah, I have to say, like, I was flipping through some back issues of Teen People, and there was kind of an alarming lack of centerfolds, I guess. Like, there was no fold-out poster. Right. Nobody to put on your wall. So I was looking, and the first issue of Teen People in 1998, patron saint of 90s It Girls, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I don't know if necessarily I'm a role model as much as my character on Party 5 is a role model. J-Love, as she was known to her fans, she was on Party of Five, 
And then she starred in I Know What You Did Last Summer and the sequel, of course, in 1998. I still know what you did last summer, by the way. I still know what you did. I have not forgotten. (laughs) And then she was Amanda in Can't Hardly Wait in 1998. She also dated TRL host Carson Daly. So... We started at the top with Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then there was a special issue of Teen People, the July slash August issue of 1999, with a headline 21 under 21. And it was the 21 stars that were defining culture at the time in Hollywood, each of them under 21 years old. Hey, everyone, this is Justin Timberlake. Get ready for the Teen People's 21 Hottest Stars Under 21. Stay tuned. Prepare yourselves. It's the youngest, hottest stars around. The list includes Monica, Britney Spears, Nick Carter, Brandy, Katie Holmes, Joshua Jackson. I love Joshua. Pacey, Leanne Rimes, Josh Hartnett. I'm like loving this list. Usher, Michelle Williams, Justin Timberlake, Aaliyah, Lance Bass, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ashton Kutcher, Rachel Lee Cook. I loved her. And Kirsten Dunst, who just is everything to me. It's a power list. And then, then of course, was Julia Stiles. So Julia Stiles, of course, what do we know about Julia Stiles today? Like she was in all of the Bourne franchises. She was in the movie Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez, which was like just so incredible. But she had serious 90s cred, though. Oh, yeah. She was in The Devil's Own with Harrison Ford in 97. And she was in an M. Night Shyamalan movie in 98 called Wide Awake. So her breakout role was in 10 Things I Hate About You in 1999, which... She won the very prestigious MTV Movie Award for Best Breakthrough Performance and was also nominated for two Teen Choice Awards. I mean, put that on your resume, Jason, right? (laughs) Her character, Kat, was like a feminist icon. She wanted to go to Sarah Lawrence. I think that's when I learned what Sarah Lawrence was. And I'm sure if we, you know, called the school, they would tell us that applications spiked that year because of that movie. I'm not even joking. It also introduced us to a young actor named Heath Ledger. Okay. Right. So she has had really an incredible career that spans a bunch of decades. However... She still loves talking about the 90s. I mean, does she? Well, let's find out. Well, Julia, thank you so much for you know coming by our little podcast, People in the 90s. And like we know you from Hustlers. We know you from Riviera, which I have to say thank you because that's really helped me get through the pandemic. It's like glamorous and just sidebar, but like I'm loving it. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I just remember reading the pilot and thinking it's the lead in a TV show and it's like a thriller and a conspiracy. And I was so intrigued by this woman, like not knowing, is she good? Is she bad? Which is an amazing kind of fun character to play. And then of course the setting, I thought that the South of France and the French Riviera would be a really interesting setting for a drama, not just because I wanted to go and travel there, although that was a big perk, but it was like that with all this gritty crime underneath it, I thought could make for an interesting show. That's the part that's so interesting is like, it is so picturesque. It's like literally a postcard. And then there's like some really like gross underbellies of this exposed. So here on this little show, we know you from a special issue of Teen People in 1999 as one of the hottest 21 people under 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's go back to June 1999. That was the issue. Oh, my God. Look at all of us. Yeah. You're in good company. Great company. I've, and everyone's had such amazing careers since then. Yeah. Look at how long my hair was. Oh, your hair was epic. So you're 18 in June 1999. You're like, where, where were you living? What were you, what were you doing? 1999, I think I was still living with my parents. Yeah, I was 18. So I just finished high school. 
But a lot of that's so much of a blur. All this life-changing stuff was happening. So many opportunities were coming my way. And it was just like... Yeah. Like all of those, those young Hollywood issues, the Vanity Fair, young Hollywood, you were really popping in the, the youth culture of the late 90s. Yeah. It was great. I really loved it. It was. I was so excited to be working. <laughs> like I just loved acting and I... I was really happy to be working and having people pay attention to it. It's great. God, that's just like six lifetimes ago, it feels like. But. Mm. I know. So we were wondering, because we were looking at the, the cover of Teen People and then the spreads inside and looking at all of your peers at the time. What was it like going on auditions in the 90s? Did you see all those same faces? Were you all kind of up for the same roles? Well, I lived in New York, born and raised in New York. And so I was auditioning in New York, which was kind of a smaller group. Mm -hmm. And I think like some of the people in the pictures that you just showed, like Leanne Rimes and Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams, they were probably all in L.A. But I do remember seeing Natalie Portman and being really starstruck and thinking, oh, I'm never going to get this job. (laughs) (laughs) She was way famous already. Were you friendly with any of your contemporaries? Yeah. I mean, and I also ended up, when I started working more, my last year of high school, I switched to a performing arts school and Christina Ricci was there. And Mm. people, so people that you would see every day, we become more friendly with. But like Josh Hartnett, when we ended up working together, you know, we became friends. And there's always this thing of once you actually have the job and you're on location, not only are you sort of forced to hang out with everybody and you quickly become friends, but uh, you have the confidence of, I've already... I've already got the job. Hmm. Auditioning is like torture. We were looking at your resume from the the 90s, and it was very clear that starting with 10 things, you became known as the smart, sarcastic, intellectual, independent. And it was interesting because most of the other roles were like the bubbly, fun prom queen. Was that more in line with who you were at the time? And like, was that a good thing for you? Did you like that? A hundred percent. Kat Stratford in 10 Things I Hate About You was huge for me just because it was my first big job and like the first big role that in a studio film that people saw me in. But for me personally, I remember going on commercial auditions and, and auditioning for those more bubbly roles, as you said. And they always were like, you're too serious. You're too intellectual. Like, lighten up. And, and I'm trying to, you know, it was very um, confusing. And then I read... 10 Things I Hate About You, and the role of Kat Stratford spoke to me. I just was like, wow, this chick is cool, and she's angsty and opinionated, and she doesn't care what other people think of her, and I identified with it so much. And so then to get the part was huge, and then to have people respond to the movie was really affirming, Mm. you know, that it's okay to be thoughtful. (laughs) Okay, so about 10 Things I Hate About You, the poem is this major thing. It's like completely a fan favorite. I heard you did the whole thing in one take. Yes. So I was not expecting to cry. Just, I don't know. I just was something about like, I think it was, this was such a huge, wonderful experience for me. And it was towards the end of filming. So I think I was a little, I didn't, it wasn't even conscious. I just, something clicked. And then I did do it in one take, but, and this is where I learned later, this is where the skill of, uh, and the skill set of acting comes in. Because it was a dolly track, which means that the the camera's on wheels and it's moving slowly towards the actor, none of the sound worked because <laughs> you could hear the wheels squeaking. Okay. So I had to record it. I did do ADR, which is like recording the whole thing over again, the sound of it. So I had to match the sound of my voice breaking to what was such a like a thing in the moment uh, that that was challenging. But yeah, and I remember Heath Ledger was so gracious about the whole thing. This is a huge 
I appreciate this so much more now having worked more. He wasn't trying to compete with me. He stood back and he was like, this is your scene. I'm when, when they did his reaction shot, he didn't well up. He didn't like go, okay, now I have to do something with my side of the camera. He just was like, that was beautiful. And this is your, this is your scene. You know, he had his amazing moments in the movie too, the singing and dancing and running up and down those steps. And, um, but he was confident enough, even just starting out to be like, I'm handing over the stage to you. And I learned way later in life that like, that doesn't always happen. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to ask you what your favorite memory was of working with him. And I feel like you just answered it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also he was very fun and very, he just brought a lot of energy to the set and was so gung-ho about being there. And uh, yeah. Where do you think Kat and Patrick are today? I, I We like need to know. If you could, if you could do the fan fiction. And did he take her last name? Oh, Patrick Stratford. That's hard to say. So I'd say no, he didn't take her name. They probably had a deal where like they both keep their names. Um, so she's teaching English at the high school. No, just kidding. No, she, I, well, I hope that she's happier and, or less angsty, I should say. Uh, she's probably thrilled to be out of high school. It was probably like her whole life started once she left high school. Maybe she became a writer. That would be an interesting premise for a... I'm just saying. I feel like she went on to become a professor at Berkeley. Not Sarah Lawrence. That would be too on the nose. But like definitely (laughs) a very top tier liberal school. Maybe she became an activist. Yes. Yes. Political activism. Totally. A hashtag this and a hashtag that. She's leading marches everywhere. Loves a hashtag. And I think he has some small chain of specialty coffee shops that are like beloved in that area. Like it's like local something and everything's like, like, like where people wear pork pie hats. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they have like, yeah, yeah. There's some weird facial hair. And, and Kat leads the campaign for like, save the small businesses. I love oh, it. Oh, I love yeah. it. We wrote this script. And she's, and she struggles being sponsored by Amex. She's got all this conflict. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just about to say that Kat Stratford walked so that the girls in book smart could run and fly. Like, you know, first of all, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. I love Booksmart. And so rooting for Olivia Wilde and she's now Olivia Wilde is paving the way for more actresses Mm. to become the directors and and people will be standing on her shoulders. But um, yeah. And also it was different. So I don't think it, I think at 20, I probably, the idea of being a 40 year old actress was like, "Mm, good luck. And now here I am at 40. I'll say it. And uh, and I'm very comfortable. I'm very like happy with the opportunities that are coming my way. And I feel like there's a lot on the horizon for me and my peers. Right. So you did choose to go to Columbia, class of 05. What was that like for you, that decision? I kind of was seamless. I I kind of, I always expected that I would go to college and then knew that it was a privilege. And then also when I was a freshman, Save the Last Dance came out and, and, and all the press around it, all the interviews that I would do, they would talk about me starting college. So now I was like, well, I got to finish now. I can't just talk all this about like pat myself on the back for starting college and not actually graduate. Are your friends like, that's so cool? Is everyone like, you know, now you're a celebrity? I think college in many ways insulated me from that huge change in anyone's life. And like, yeah, people would go, oh, you're in that movie, right? But I think very quickly I was able to focus on school and also my peer, uh, you know, it was very, it would put things in perspective a lot. So like my peers were all studying to become doctors. So that's humbling. And then, yeah, it was, there were, there were some really funny, weird moments like a limo for the MTV movie awards, pulling up in front of my dormitory with my name on it, where it's like, Oh God, 
but uh but casual just like kind of casual yeah just no big deal <laughs> so it was a bit to navigate but i think that college really protected me from having it totally take over my life but but there is one more question we have to ask so there's maybe an urban myth we don't know you and joseph gordon levitt lived in the same dorm uh no he we started at columbia at the same time but you guys possibly dated we were like is that no. fan fiction Listen, he's married and has at least two kids now, I think. I'm married and I have a kid. No. Neither of us probably, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, look, we had to ask. This is People Magazine after all. <laughs> he, was, he was great. He's great. And we kept in touch. Oh, I mean, like, look, yeah. totally. Like, I hear you. I hear you. We got you. So a few, like, 90s questions. Like, uh, it's their ultimate 90s song. Uh, definitely some TLC in there. Oh, I sometimes confuse the 90s with the oddies, but definitely some TLC in there. Like, oh, lots of Tribe Called Quest. I need to, I feel like I need to. Did you like, like the Cat Stratford collection of like Lilith Fair type music or no? Yes. So that's what, this was a huge, I, somehow I went from, I was really obsessed with Ani DeFranco. And that was that, because Cat Stratford, when I, when I was doing 10 Things I Hate About You, that was more like my high, end of high school. So I was in that Riot Girl, mm-hmm. Ani DeFranco for sure phase. I remember thinking, would Ani DeFranco think that I'm a sellout because I'm in a commercial Hollywood movie? <laughs> or not, not for 10 Things I Hate About You, but later I was like, hmm, Ani DeFranco would think I'm a sellout. And then, and then, I, and then I transitioned somehow and got beca- like, became sort of obsessed with hip hop. Okay. Well, now um, speaking of favorites, we're going to do our favorite little game at the end of our show. We do this or that. And for you, it's a 90s male heartthrob, real and fictional edition. So first one is Dawson or Pacey? Remind me which actor played which part. Dawson was, Vanderbeek was, was, was Dawson. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm a Dawson girl. Well, I'm only saying, cause, okay, I'm going to be really honest. I didn't really watch Dawson's Creek, but James Vanderbeek was on, uh, what was the show? It was like the, the bitch from a Don't trust the bee in apartment. Don't trust the bee in 23. And James played himself and he was so funny. So, so who knew, right? Yeah. Who knew? So I know we're not ranking the actors, but I'm just saying that's what my mind right. went to. Like, for example, the next one, Brandon or Dylan. Oh, I was really into Dylan. Yeah. No offense, Brandon, but I, at that age, was really into the bad boy. Yeah. The like mysterious, aloof bad boy. It's so annoying. Oh, yeah. Brooding was like the way to go. Um, Titanic Leo or Romeo and Juliet Leo? Romeo and Juliet Leo. That was a movie actually where I'm not saying I auditioned for it or like, like should have been in it, but I just was, I remember being so in awe of Claire Danes in that movie being like, oh, you're amazing. You're my hero. I think every girl of a certain age was like, I would do anything to be Claire Danes in that movie. Um, yeah. Zach Morris or AC Slater? AC Slater? Interesting. No, no, no. Sorry. Take that. Wait, was this, I'm sorry. Wait, no, go back. That was Saved by the Bell. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. That's okay. I love the thoughtfulness with which you're answering these questions. I, but see, I was so into I was always so into Saved by the Bell. But then, like, I'm now I'm thinking back to that, and so I'm digging it up from the memory banks. But I remember at that age, I was more obsessed with the girls. Don't take that the wrong way. I was too. I'm just saying that when you're a teenage girl, you're like so into. I I paid more attention to the Kelly Kapowski. Yes. Well, what's Brandon's sister's name? Oh, Brenda Walsh. Brenda. No, wait, that, no, I'm going to 90210. Oh, the wires are all crossed, you guys. We're making, That's kind of how the 90s were. It's like 90s soup right now. Okay, are you an InSync or a Backstreet Boy girl? InSync, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. This, yeah. this one's just... Because again, when those bands were really popular, you couldn't. there was no girl in them for me to identify with. Interesting. Oh. 
I love that. You really are. I like love very that too. Yeah, yeah, for Kat sure. Cat Strafferty. Yeah. I love it. Um, this one's just ridiculous. So Joey Lawrence or Joey Tribbiani? <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Oh. But who is Joey Tribbiani, by the way? From Friends. Oh, of course. And they both said, whoa, actually. Yeah. They both had a similar um, shtick on those shows. Yeah. Yes. Um, what was your, just out of curiosity, your favorite 90s TV show? There was like Friends, Seinfeld, 90210. I, or, let's see, 90s, 90s, 90s. I mean, I was really into 90210. I feel like was in Living Color the 90s. Yeah. Yes. I sure. remember it was such a big deal coming to school on a Monday morning. And you had to know what happened on In Living Color, SNL, and uh, Showtime at the Apollo nice good rap so awesome yeah uh and then whatever music video like had debuted that weekend you know now you're so 90s for a minute i was worried (laughs) i was like we better go check like her her wikipedia again this was awesome we are so grateful for your time thank you great to talk to you both and there you have it 90s aficionado julia styles i mean andrea let's just say it it's kind of baller that she doesn't know who Joey Tribbiani is. It's funny because I was going to tell her that she would make a terrible People magazine editor with her limited knowledge of pop culture. And then I realized that she's an actress and her job is not our job and our obsession is not her obsession. <laughs> and what's funny is like she is so not impressed by that. She's impressed by the people she graduated college with who like are doctors. I was like, but you were in a Cindy Lauper video in 1993. <laughs> I saw it on your Wikipedia. And oh my God, Andrew, I always thought the whole thing between her and Joseph Gordon-Levitt was kind of like a rumor, like a silly thing. I I actually feel really badly. I I didn't expect her to to go there. You know, I'm just glad she remembered that she was in 10 Things I Hate About You. (laughs) So when I was looking through the list of the 21 hottest stars under 21, I noticed a bunch of female singers. There was Monica, there was Aaliyah. Leanne Rimes, who was only 16 at the time, of course, Britney Spears, couldn't do this without her, Brandy, et cetera. And it made me realize that late 90s was peak for female singer-songwriters. In fact, it was the time of Lilith Fair. (gasps) Lilith Fair, like the total, the reaction to Lollapalooza, right? Yeah, it was like female empowerment before we had female empowerment. It was all about like putting on your favorite flowing urban outfit or skirt and some like random beaded necklace and just linking arms with your gal pals and not shaving your legs and singing like a Tori Amos song at the top of your lungs. Oh, I was wearing my girl's rule t-shirt. You were like the guy there and I love you for that. And of course, our girl, Julia Stiles, gave a shout out to the one and only Ani DeFranco, who was a requirement on your I Have So Many Feelings mixtape. Oh, totally. When you needed to cry in your bedroom about being hot and misunderstood, like I said. Well, Jewel. Oh, you were meant for me. I have to go upstairs and write my diary. Oh, God. I loved her so much. Oh, my God. Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, hey, guys. Oh, hi, hi, producer Chris. Do you have a favorite female singer-songwriter of the 90s you'd like to share? Please do weigh in. Were you wearing a girl's role t-shirt? I was more of a girl power t-shirt kind of guy. But I had to interrupt to let you know that we're actually being paged. And it's by a Sarah today who was heavily influenced by the Sarah McLaughlins and artists of Lilith Fair. And it's Sarah Bareilles. Oh, my God. I love her. I know. And she's calling in to share some of the musical it girls girls that she loved back in the 90s, and I think you may be surprised by who she chose. I was probably the biggest fan of Destiny Child. The, the empowerment of Survivor. I, some of that early stuff, like Build, 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 and, you know, they, they went through so many 
stages of fashion changing so much and then Beyonce kind of like starting to become Beyonce. <laughs> but yeah, the 90s, I mean, geez. I was at the time kind of enamored with the Spice Girls, you know, the Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and, and then also trying to find out where do I fit and I knew I never was a genie in a bottle, but I wanted to sing those songs, even though they didn't emerge naturally from me. Um, but I was a big fan. First of all, I love Sarah Bareilles. I saw Waitress three times on Broadway. She wrote all the music. I think she's so awesome. And now she's got this show called Girls 5 Eva on Peacock, where she plays a member of a 90s girl group trying to get back together. It's a Tina Fey comedy. And like, I'm not being paid to say all this. It's really, really good. So you know what this proves, Jason? That I'm right about everything? That everyone's obsessed with the 90s. Okay, well, that obviously, yes. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Previously on Chasing Fabio. I did find Fabio's attorney. Oh, thank God. Unfortunately, Fabio is not available. Regards. Regards? What do you mean he's not available? Okay, Jason, you know what time it is. I'm going to need an update. So it's very painful, I have to tell you. I just It's kind of true confessions time. I... <sighs> You know when you want a guy to like you? No, I'm not familiar with that feeling. They always do. No, of course I know. Okay, so I want him to like me. And he just sends his regards. You know, Eric Esquire and Marina Del Rey is just sending regards. And I'm at the point to where I'm trying too hard. Mm-hmm. You're getting sweaty. You know, and I so I want to think that the guy's going to want me in the end. But I'm just, it's like, I'm Rachel Lee Cook pre-makeover at this point. Oh, your ponytail's still in. <laughs> Girl, let that ponytail down, take off those glasses, and let the world see the beauty that was hiding behind Mm -hmm. that hair elastic. No, I have continued to email Eric Esquire and Marina Del Rey, Fabio's lawyer, and I'm at the point where I'm I'm re-re-re-responding to emails. So he's just not responding. And so I'm responding to myself, responding to him. Right. So I'm at this point, I'm like, you know, what would it take to get Fabio? Are you going to give up? No. I mean, like, the thing is, as as, as we both know here. Because I still see the light in your eye. It's a little, it's dimmed, but it's there. I'm really all in on this, and I'm way over my skis. I mean, like, it is bad. So next step is I'm going to send Eric one more email. (laughs) And I've also asked him, to. I'm I'm happy to jump on the phone. Like, that's where I'm at now. Give me a call. Here's my cell. No time's (laughs) too late. I'm up all hours. I know people think we're making this up, but... No, but this is real. <laughs> this is so real. one more possibility. I'm wondering, what if now Donna May is Eric? They are one and the same. I ha- What I see happening here is when they d- make a Lifetime movie about this entire experience, Donna May has to be played by Tori Spelling, because that's how I see Donna May. And then Eric, I think, is going to be like, you know, Rob Estes from, you know, Melrose. You know, wow, that, that kind of like, wow. like, like a hot, evil guy. 
Well, I think the most important thing is who would play you in the movie, Jason? Well, Brian Austin Green. Okay. I was just making sure. I mean, I've got this sorted out. Now, do you have a, who's going to play you? Jennifer Aniston. She's <laughs> ready. We can't even get Janice. You think we're going to get J.A.? Okay. You have dreams and I have dreams. I've been supportive regards. My dreams are attainable except for Fabio. Are they? <laughs> are they? Okay. We'll check in next week. Okay. But regards. Regards. <laughs> Okay, so Jason, on the very last page of this issue in 1999, the Tom Green Show gets a mention. My bum is on the rail. Bum is on the rail. When I say Tom Green, what do you think of? What comes to mind is like him humping a dead animal on MTV, like in the middle of the street. Is that, that, that's that, right? Yes, I believe that's his work. That is his work. Um, Like now that it's all flashing back, like he married Drew Barrymore. They were like, we're in Charlie's Angels together. Yeah, they were only married for six months in 2001. And since this is a 90s show, we can't even talk about that. Fair enough, fair enough, fair Um, enough. But we talk about how it's this talk and, and sketch show that debuted on MTV in January of 99. So again, the peak of teen culture, TRL, all of that. It ran until March of 2000. So a very brief journey. (laughs) So Tom Green, now that we're like looking back, he has really paved the way for this whole genre of alt comedy. I mean, there's the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim and frankly, everything on Adult Swim vibes very like Tom Green to me because I'm like, "Ah, I think I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't really get it. Am I supposed to be high? Like, I, you know what I mean? It's it's so out there that you're like, I feel dumb not being in on the joke. It, that, it's actually a really good point. Like, I mean, because I'm sober and so I don't smoke pot. But as soon as I'm watching those things and I'm like, am I not allowed to watch this because I'm sober? Like, I feel like, I right. feel like you or need... Or do I have to be 13? Right, right, for sure. But I think you're... T- I'm with you. Like, there's a generation, you know, Billy on the Street. Like, that show is totally, you know, stuntish Tom Green, but like with such commitment and genius. Right. So it was very low tech, which now when you think about it, Instagram, YouTube, yeah. all of those uh, quick form video platforms that have come and gone. It was that gross out dude humor, which was, you know, sometimes silly, but most of the time really gross and foul, hence the humping the dead moose. He actually um, nursed on a cow's udder. Is that a fair way to say what he did? Like he actually like. Yeah, I forgot about that until now. That's kind of ingrained into my corneas. So then Eric Andre went on to have this Netflix movie, Bad Trip, and, you know, he's doing really well. So. I think we owe him a huge apology, much like we need to say we're sorry to Millie Vanilli, R.I.P. Okay, so this is on, on, on behalf of no one, because we're, I don't think we're legally allowed to speak on behalf of People Magazine, but we <laughs> offer an apology from Jason and Andrea to Tom Green. Yeah, we didn't respect your genius then. And frankly, I don't really know that you're a genius now. I just think maybe you should have gotten a little more credit for your ingenuity with your work. Bum is on the rail. Look at me. My bum is on the rail. All right, Andrea, one last thing. Let's talk a little more about girl groups of the 90s. So the first one that comes to mind for you is... Destiny's Child. Okay, I was hoping you were going to say Spice Girls. Oh, Spice Girls. I always forget that they're 90s. I know. So, But don't forget about the Dixie Chicks. People always forget about them. And what I really wanted you to say was TLC. Oh, uh, I can't believe I didn't lead with them. The best. Yeah, like No Scrubs. I mean, that was my jam in 1999. And that's because it was everyone's song in 1999. Scrub is a guy that thinks he's flying. 
And on page 38 of this issue of Teen People, we printed every damn word of the song because we believed in teaching you all the words. I mean, hats off to whoever writer pitched that story because you have no byline. But <laughs> TLC, that would be T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili, formed in 1990 in Atlanta. And they would go on to have four number one hits. Can you name them? Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Just Waterfalls, but yeah. I like it by its full name. Okay. Scrubs. No scrubs, but yeah. <laughs> I'm a 90s expert. Um... <laughs> Unpretty. Yes. One more. Notice I didn't call it make me feel unpretty. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 creep. Anyway, uh, it's creep. I know. But by 1999, they were one of the best-selling girl groups of all time. And it's worth noting they were still number four after the Spice Girls, the Andrews Sisters, and a Korean girl group known as 21. It's spelled 2-N-E-1. I mean, they've sold 65 million records. So I just wanted to take a moment to pay tribute to the trio who define 90s in sound. And what I really wanted to bring up is their style. Because honestly, they were doing a Lady Gaga level of conceptual red carpet fashion long before the meat dress. All right? Like... And in 2002, Left Eye died in a car accident in Honduras. But I, I have to say, remember how she would wear a condom over her left eye? I mean, they always had condoms pinned on their outfits. You know, they were so cool. They made safe sex stylish, even though I really had no idea what any of that was about at that time. But whatever, that's still so 90s. Okay, that was awesome. Julia Stiles and It Girls of the 90s. I just really was dying to ask her, since it was like a video chat, if she remembered the choreography from Save the Last Dance, but you're welcome, I didn't. (laughs) Because I want this podcast to succeed. Well, and not for nothing, Andrea, that movie came out in the 2000s. I I know, Jason, but still, dreams are dreams. People in the 90s is hosted by me, Jason Sheeler, and Andrea Laventhal. It's produced by Jason Sheeler and Chris Jacobs. Executive produced by Kim Rittberg and David Flumenbaum. Edited by Chris Jacobs. Mastered by Erica Wong. And with production support by Elisa Sessler at People, Persia Verlin, Matt Sav, and Rachel King at Pod People. I'm Andrea Laventhal. Thank you for listening. And I'm Jason Sheeler. <laughs>